Yeah, welcome back to another episode of Scholar Chips. Um, we have a dear friend. Uh, I've known him since I was like 15, so going on 20 plus years. He's a brother. He's um, foundational members, I guess, in my in my family and my in my brotherhood. So, like I said, I've known him for a long time, and I think it would be uh, weird if I didn't have him on the pod, just given his success and just given everything that he's done in the city of Milwaukee, uh, Houston. He's made crazy moves, and I just, you know. It, it made sense for it to come on right now, especially when he has so many other ventures coming up. So, uh, yeah, Corey McClendon, my guy, welcome to the pod. Yeah, yes, appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, y'all. I wish I had like some clapping or something that go with it. I need an audience. I mean, we could, we could. Yeah, add that. You got to add that later. Um, no, I appreciate it, man. Like, you know, I, I knew I, I knew my time would come. I'm like, you know what I'm saying? I was waiting to get drafted to make it to this college chip podcast. Yeah. And I'm finally here. And I just appreciate y'all, you know, let me be on the, on the pod, um, kind of share my story. Hopefully it can inspire maybe one person um, to kind of just kind of chase their dreams and keep pushing forward. So appreciate it. Yeah. And I think the one thing that I always respect about you is that you always had this like, yo, I'm I'm my own business mindset. Like day one, like I'm, I don't like working for people. You know what I'm saying? Like, although you had to take a, a different different road, I always respected just your autonomy in life. Just like if I don't like it, I ain't doing it. <laughs> I don't care what what comes at at what cost, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it just was something I always respected about you. But uh, you know, tell us about your upbringing. Tell us about where you're from and all of that. So, I mean, it's funny that you say like I, I operate like in, uh, in autonomy, basically. That kind of, I mean, that's a direct reflection of my childhood, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I'm the oldest of three, but uh, you know, we moved to Milwaukee when I was a kid, like five years old, and we grew up. I grew up on the east side of Milwaukee, not like. I grew up on the river west side, so that's kind of more eclectic, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we had a sense of community and we had a sense of belonging. We had a sense of like everybody helps everybody. But then the flip side of that is, you know, everybody was independent enough to kind of go get it themselves, but bring it to the table for everybody else. We just kind of shared. It was just kind of what it was. Everything always just boiled down to me growing up was, are you a good person, right? And that was a direct reflection of my community, um, you know, I'm talking about this probably one of the most diverse neighborhoods I've ever been in, right? I mean. You know, never to the left, doctor, never to the right, owned a, a martial arts dojo, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's so totally different um, lifestyles. Um, you know, never across the street, you know, he owned a bar that was three blocks away. So it's like, you know, as a kid, I've been just running around the neighborhood and always been, I've just been every bar. Like, I, I'm, you know, again, this was the 90s, but I'm in every bar with my dad. And, you know, I know all the owners and we all know each other. So I kind of, that's, that's always reflected in my day to day life and just kind of how, how how I interact with any and everybody. Um, and then kind of just moving forward that also I saw firsthand of what gentrification looked like. You know, gentrification meant that all right, when it was just me as 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 the only kid, we could we could afford to live in this house. But then when my parents had a had a second child, plus rent was going up, we couldn't afford to move to a larger house. So we have to move into the inner city. So now it's all right, it's the neighborhood and the community that I knew now became something totally different. It's like, wait a minute, there's not a doctor that lives next door. There's not a martial arts dojo or a martial artist dojo owner to the other on the other side of me. There's not, you know, the bar owner across the street or a bar that I can go into that I felt comfortable with my dad. It was mm -hmm. like, oh, it was gunshots. Oh, it was drug dealing, right? And it's like, all right, how do I now navigate that? And it made me just kind of also be more fluid on how I could just interact with any and everybody. Like, all right, how do I just stay safe, right? That's what I always thought about, like staying safe, Became, that, was, that became my number one focus once we start moving around um, and to kind of bring that back to now being in real estate. That was kind of motive. That is a motivation for me to be able to, to create housing for people um, that are displaced. I'm taking a step back really quickly. I know you mentioned that you uh, grew up in River West and then also bounced around after that as a result of gentrification and everything else. Um, what schools did you go to? Walk us through, uh, you know, elementary, middle high yeah. school, uh, and then eventually uh, talk about the college decision. Yeah, so elementary, the first school I went to was Cash Street Elementary. So that was a K-3 to eighth grade. So like a large, big school, um, you know, and uh, my parents, the, my teachers, they saw some kind of talent in me, you know, from K, they were literally trying to skip me from K-3 to second grade. Like it was wild. And I'm like, I don't think I'm that intelligent, smart. I don't think I'm anything. And it was just the 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 reason that it didn't happen was more so I was small. Like, are oh, you gonna be you already short for your grade for your age? I'm sorry, from K4 to second grade. I was already short for my age, and it was like, and now you're gonna be super young in this classroom. Um, so that was like a, a different experience. It's like, all right, I felt like I was it's almost like I'm 
I wasn't being challenged or learning what I should. Then I went from there. Once we moved, I went to Parkview Elementary, which is actually on a complete opposite side of town. I mean, this is like the outskirts of Milwaukee. You cross one street, you're in like, uh, it's called, I think, Beloit or, or Butler. You're in Butler. So you cross one street, you're like in Butler. So I'm like on the fringe of the city of Milwaukee. And it was it was still kind of diverse, but it was just not the same feel of what Castry was. And it wasn't as, as large either. It was just a, a first through fifth grade regular elementary school. Um, and then middle school, I went to Morris, which is uh, at that point was known as the school for the gifted and talented. Right. Um, which I mean, that that was a that was a different experience. Right, You got to start over going from fifth grade to sixth grade. You're the man in fifth grade. Now you're nobody in sixth grade. And but it also had a ton of programs. Right. Um, you know, I was into the arts growing up. I was in I was in every school play I could I could possibly be in. And I was at Cass Street. I'm talking about K4, first grade, K4, K5, first grade. I was in school plays. I played Louis Armstrong. Um, <laughs> I had to sing in front of the entire school. Right. You know, even, in, you know, damn, when I went to Parkview. You know, I was in I was in uh, I was in a couple of those plays uh, like we had a Maniac McGee play. I don't know if you guys remember that book back in the day. But I was in, you know, I was always into that. So then going to Morris, it was like we had those, we had that available still. Um, but I didn't, you know, I wish I could, I wish I would have kept going with it because I actually enjoyed that. But it also, but it still was just so many opportunities. I remember being in a chess club. I actually, I remember being in actually the double Dutch club. I mean, I played football growing up, but uh, always, you know, I was like, I Huh? Clubbing every <laughs> we be clubbing. You said clubbing. Every I, was club. every club. I was just trying stuff, man. Like yeah. I was never afraid to try things, and I never cared what anybody thought. Like double dust club, like all right, I'm gonna do it. And I was the only boy in there. It was like all right, but I'm gonna do it, right? And I, I mean, the teacher was kind of leaning on me, like you ain't got to jump, but to pass, I had to do it one time. Um, you know, so I think Morse was a great experience as well. It's kind of helped shape me and just kind of allow me to just try stuff. And I think people are scared to just try stuff, and then going to Mark, I mean Riverside which was back on the east side of Milwaukee. So kind of like, you know, where I grew up. Um, and again, that school was super diverse. And I think my mom was always adamant about trying to have diversity around me and just having new experiences. I mean, like having fresh experiences, diff different uh, uh, viewpoints. Uh, I think that was what we really were, what she was aiming for. Um, and then ultimately going to Marquette, which I never thought I would go to. I actually thought I was going to go from Riverside to UWM, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, um, you know, at Riverside, you could take classes at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And a lot of my, my guys that play on the football team, you know, the guys that were a couple years older than me, most of them went to UWM um, once they graduated. So I was like, all right, I'm just go to UWM like with the rest of the guys. I never did college tours. I was never – I mean, I was a three-sport three sport athlete, um, and I never – I just focused on that. And I and I was in advanced class classes, and I just focused on that. But I never, like, was focused on the next level and going to college because – Nobody around me really went. To, my mom went to college, went to an HBCU, but I didn't witness that because she had me post college. So I never went on college tours. It was never like a motivation to do that. So I was like, I'm just go to UWM. Everybody go to UWM, and that's what it is. What it is. Um, I ended up applying at Marquette. Right. Um, I actually had a 3.5 cum <laughs> like in high school, uh, cumulative, and I and I was I ended up applying to Marquette, took the ACT. Ended up getting accepted, and I was surprised. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to Marquette. Like I never thought. Granted, you know, I pat I went through Wisconsin Avenue and passed the school. I mean, growing up, right, all the time. So to then attend it, it was like, wow, I never thought this would happen, even though it was right there in your city. So um, that was like, you know, it was almost like a I made it moment, uh, <laughs> which you realize once you go, once you in college, like you ain't make it, you ain't, like, you just starting. So, but it felt like a, I made a moment when I first got accepted into Marquette. You mentioned that you were a three-sport athlete uh, in high school. Uh, you know, what sports were they and what lessons did you sort of learn and, and take from those uh, activities? Man, I play uh, football, right? I grew up playing football from like 8 to 18 years old before breaking my ankle. Um, my my senior year, right before the start of the season, like the start of like the, before we started playing the games, uh, wrestling and then track. And I absolutely hated track. No offense to anybody who listened and they ran track or whatever and they love track. I hated track because I just wasn't good. Right. And, I, and I'm not saying I wasn't good because I just didn't have any talent. I just wasn't good because I didn't practice. Like I, I, the football coaches convinced me to run track to get faster for football. So my motivation was solely for football, not for running track, but I did it anyway. Uh, wrestling, the biggest lesson I learned. So wrestling, uh, 
I was zero and 52 my freshman year. Zero and 52. Now, you got to think about how many times <laughs> 52 times is and to lose 52 times. Like, not even, I think I got close maybe the last like couple matches, but think at 30, like, most people would be like, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. Like, I, I lost 30 times and went out here and embarrassed myself 30 times. Like, you know, a lot of places we wrestled, we would go like up north, right? Northern Wisconsin. These kids that have been wrestling since they was like five years old. You know, you walk in, you're the only minority in the building, and you hear you, you hear the crowd, they got these cowbells and they and they screaming like kill them. Like it almost felt like a like a lynching or something. Like it started, it was like, man, this is crazy. Like I, like they hate me. I don't even know why they hate me. I'm not even like I don't know why they hate me. I just walked in here. So, but through those losses, honestly, I, I extracted like small victories out of every one of them, right? Like that first, my first match was probably like no, no, it was probably like 30 seconds long, like 30 seconds. I went out there, we tussled around a little bit. I got slammed, got pinned, boom, I was out of there. I'm like, whoa, this is that's it, right? I didn't even I didn't even that's understand cool. the rules like that. So I'm like, man, that was fast. So like, okay, by my by my tenth match, I'm like, okay, at least I got to the second round, right? By that you know, 40th match, you like, all right, I'm out here. I'm actually kind of competing. All right. I'm actually kind of competing. Like now I'm not getting, it's called tech falls where you like, you down so many points that just end the match or get pinned. Whereas like they pin you is over with, like, that's not happening anymore. It's like, I'm actually competitive. And then by like that 50th match, it's like, okay, I, I lost some weight. I'm stronger now. I'm competing way more now. And it's like, okay, I see my growth. Everybody else can't see it. Everybody else might not notice it because they don't know where I was or how bad I was, but I see my own personal growth and I extracted the victory out of every one of them. And I knew for a fact, I'm like, I love it. Like, I love it because it's a challenge. I got to figure this thing out. I'm, and I'm not giving up. I don't have a, I've never had a, a quit mentality. Like, I, I, it's okay. I can lose, right? You, you may be more talented than I am. You may have had more reps than I have had. You may, you know, and, that, and you may just be, Simply better than I am. It is what it is. You may, you may you may just be better today than I am. Whatever. I can accept all of that. But I can I know for a fact that I just I'm not quitting. Because if I quit, that means that I quit on myself. That means that I know I'm gonna lose because I quit. So I never have the I quit mentality in any sport or anything that I do. So I extracted every little victory from every single loss and I enjoyed every moment of it, which was crazy. It was like, how do you enjoy losing? It's like it wasn't the loss part, it was the lesson part in every loss. Um so that 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 I carried that on to the rest of my life, right? Like every field I've been in, every business I've owned, like, like, all right, yeah, all right. I started this business, it didn't work out, but I learned a ton of stuff and I could duplicate this, right? And I try to extract victories out of every business, out of every try that I, every shot I take, every um every weight I lift, like every rep I do, I, I try to extract the victory out of it. So that's kind of what wrestling taught me. Was that was that something that was uh I guess instilled in you at a young age, or is it something that you kind of developed as time progressed as you got older? Man, at, at an earlier age, I played like I said, I started playing football when I was eight years old. So I'm walking on the field, and so I'm five five as a grown man. You gotta think how tall I was at eight years old. Larry and I actually played on the same football team, and it was like I'm I probably was the smallest, I'm pretty sure I was the smallest one on the team, almost, if not the smallest, probably close to it. And I'm playing running back. So I got to run through this hole and I got a lineman, right? That's probably two, three times my size. That might tackle me. I got a, a linebacker coming down and want to take my head off. And I got a safety. That's, you know what I'm saying? Coming down behind him. So when I'm running through this hole, when I'm out there, it's like, I got to have a like warrior's mentality. Like, all right, at the end of the day, you're not going to break me. Because I know you're going to try to hit me as hard as you can. So I got to try to hit you as hard as I can. And I got to get back up and do it again. And again, right? Like Marshawn Lynch said, you know, people will hit you, but they ain't gonna like when you hit them over again and again and again and again. So that's the mentality I developed. Like I'm coming through this hole. This big dude might hit me. That big dude might hit me. And dude gonna hit me. But I'm gonna just do it again and again. And they're gonna realize, like, eventually, all right, we, we can't break this guy. And they gonna somebody gonna get tired. Somebody gonna quit. Somebody gonna think twice. Somebody gonna be like, man, look, just let him have it. Right after a while, people like just let him have it. So that's just been my mentality. Um, you know, and in the words yeah. of Nick so I just didn't quit. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny you mentioned that because I remember you being really good, and and I remember me being really bad, and my uncle telling me that this probably wasn't going to be it. <laughs> Circling back to something you said um, about just the joy that you and your family experienced when you got into Marquette, 
Um, just talk about the transition from Riverside, which is obviously uh, a, a really good, diverse public school in Milwaukee, and yeah. then going to a predominantly white uh, institution uh, in Milwaukee. Just talk about that transition um, and then just your, your overall experience. Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, we were in EOP, right? So it kind of gave us this false sense of diversity at Marquette. Like we come in, you come in for a summer program, you know, we all got accepted into the school and it's like, oh man, it's 200 people of color. Right. And he's like, all right, cool. It's going to be all right. And then once school actually starts and you see, Hey, I'm the only black person in this classroom or like, I'm the, or it's, it's me, you know, my, my friend, right. That we came in together and it's like, we the only two in this classroom. And then we having this, we in this one, I, I remember vividly being in a class and we, the purpose of the class, because I started off as a physical therapy major, um, well, exercise science major, you know, on the path to a doctorate in physical therapy. And it was like we had we had one class that was kind of teach you like kind of like ethics, sort of like understanding where we just we literally circle up our, our desk, circle our desk up and just have open conversation. And one of the one of the young ladies in there was like, I've never met a black person in my life. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> right. So it's like, hold on. You never met a. Like, so she's like, only thing I've ever seen was on TV. And it's like, wait a minute, man. Like, now I'm like, I represent the entire race, obviously, for you now, because you never even met a black person. So everything I do, you're probably going to be watching. Like, oh, I, I saw that on, you know what I'm saying? Whatever channel you watch, whether it's BT you saw on TV, whatever it was. And it's like, that was pressure. It was like pressure. Like, I can't even be myself. Like, not who I really want to be, because I'm representing everybody. And also, it's... Man, something that's super frustrating when you go to a PWI is a question can be asked by the professor. I can raise my hand and answer the question. Everybody will look at me puzzled. A person, a non-colored person can answer this question the same way, same answer, and everybody makes it seem like they got it. And it's like, am I speaking another language or what? And that was like, that that experience in itself was was beyond frustrating, right? It's like, you don't have, what do you, what do, you do? Like, how is like, Nobody understands that unless they've been in it. But it's like, mm-hmm. what can you do about it? And I, I think what got me through Marquette, because my freshman year, I told my mom, I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm not coming back. Like, I'm not coming back. College ain't for me. Like, this place ain't for me. And um, and it was like, how do you get, how do you, for me, I just learned, it was like, okay, how do I make it through? And uh, a lot of times I was, it was just like, keep my head down. Don't do too much stay out of trouble and just kind of go to class, try to get solid grades and just keep going. And I had two advisors. So I had an advisor over in physical, in, in um, exercise, or it's called, uh, what was it called? Well, ex- like my, for my exercise science major, then I had an advisor for EOP. My EOP advisor like, no, I need to drop out of exercise science and go into arts and sciences to be a counselor, right? Like trying to, which it, it showed me in itself, like people try to shape, shape your future and try to like, you know, diminish your dreams and your goals. And it's like, I don't want to be a counselor, bro. Like you are a counselor. I don't want to be you. Like my, my goals aren't to be you. My goals are to be me and ultimately to be in a doc, to be a physical therapist. Right. You know, I got into that whole thing with him. And then it was like, well, we'll kick you out of the program. It's like, wow. Like y'all gonna kick me out because it's not like my grades are, ta- are bad. Like I'm bees. Right. Like some C's in there, but it's not like I was failing, failing out. So from there it's like, all right, I'm already struggling being in this school. Just, from a cultural standpoint, now I got to deal with you and you trying to push me out of what I really want to ultimately do while I'm even here. Right. So then I was just kind of like, I had no major for a semester. And I was like, just kind of like, I felt like a lost child, like just kind of roaming around, taking general classes. Like, I'm just, I'm just here. So then I was like, all right, look, I learned, and I'm like in high school, I remember driving past people who had the H2 Hummers. I remember going into the polo store on Michigan Avenue. Um, and asking, I saw a black man, an older black gentleman, just point at the walls and just, he, it was a sweater up there, $350 sweater. He just buy it. Oh, that one, I'll, I'll give me that one. Oh, this one, I'll oh, give me that one. And I remember literally, I remember driving in traffic, pulling up next to a lady. Hey, how do you make money? She said, real estate. I remember, I remember pulling up to, um, I mean, pulling up, walking up on a man at the, at the, at the Ralph Lauren store on Michigan Ave. Hey man, what do you do? How do you make money? Like, I was never scared to ask the question. And he was like, just be patient. And that made me mad. <laughs> like, that was the answer that I didn't want to hear. Like, yo, I need an answer. What do you do? Mm-hmm. Right. And I, but I also remember like having guys I went to high school with and seeing them and like them going back and forth traveling and like having like these nice cars. And I'm like, hey, what do you do? And their answer was real estate. Right. So I'm getting, I was getting this answer 
pretty often. Like, oh, what do you do? Real estate, real estate, real estate. And I'm like, oh, man. Granted, this was in 07, 06, 07. And so when I, during that time in Marquette, when I kind of didn't have a major, I'm like, man, what am I going to do? And I started looking at majors. I'm like, all right, what they got? What do they have? What do they have? And I'm like, hmm, real estate. I'm like, oh, finance. Like, all right, bet I can. I'm like, I could do that. Like, that's something I like. Like, that's something that obviously I always told myself, I'm going to have some money. At the end of the day, I'm going to make money. <laughs> but, right, I didn't know exactly how. But then once I started getting, like, real estate was kind of the route to go. I was like, oh, yeah, duh, let me major in real estate. Look into it. Let me at least explore this, this major. And that's when it all clicked for me. I was like, oh, man, real estate. Like, the no my grades went from C, C, like a C-plus student to, like, 3.0 student once I switched over to, to business because it was like oh I like this I get this like oh it makes sense now right like you know in, in exercise science they try to weed you out with them early classes right chemistry biochem organic like them, what is it organic chemistry organic chemistry they tried to weed that you was, out with that yeah. and it, those classes were difficult but like in business they do the same but it was like but it made sense like accounting like one account two right all of that stuff but it was like I had one better study habits but I also enjoyed what I was learning um so like then it was like oh now it makes sense so granted i was already i mean there's only 250 black men on market campus out of 11,000 students but i was already one of the 250 but when you go to business school i was like one like maybe two black like black people in the whole business school so now it's like all right you can use it to your advantage or you can let this deter you so now i'm in the business school and i'm like all right, i joined a real estate club um I joined a real estate club and then like I started just kind of mixing and mingling. I sat in the front of every class like I'm like, yo, I'm going to make this work at the end of the day. And then people, everybody else started knowing me. I didn't know them, but it kind of showed like, oh, people going to recognize you for getting good grace. Right. And then, I, like that's when people started knowing my name through business school. Like and I got cool with a lot of people being using that, like being a minority to my advantage versus it being like something that kind of made me shy away from even socializing. I think that's the. That's the perfect segue. So obviously you mentioned that you were at Marquette, you were initially sort of uh, pursuing the physical therapy path, yeah. ultimately uh, decided to go to the school of business where um, you found a love for real estate. Uh, so talk to us about sort of like leaving Marquette and then, you know, entering the professional world, uh, just some of your first jobs and just lessons learned uh, there as well. And my first job out of Marquette, I worked for a IT consultant consulting company and we were implementing the PeopleSoft program for all UW system. So they were transitioning over from whatever old um, program they had over to Oracle PeopleSoft. So it kind of handles like HR, for the full suite, right? To like kind of operate a, a business or a company. Um, and my job was to do technical writing. So like kind of explaining these processes and procedures to also do like testing of the uh, software to try to break it and then kind of go back to the to the to the developers and kind of tell them like hey this is where i found like where it's messed up or not working blah 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 um and like and it, it was like other one-offs they had me doing as well right like special projects blah 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 now again marquette prepared me for this for this for this job because not because of the like what i learned or what i did none from those aspects simply from an aspect of being the only black person in a setting <laughs> that's all because I went up, I went to Madison, I was living in Madison. Um, and then the company, the, the, the consultant company was actually based out of Chicago. So I'm there with the, the, the UW Madison employees, as well as the consultants. And it's probably 150 people, only black person, my only black person. Right. And I don't have a background in it whatsoever. Like I don't know anything. I don't know nothing about technical writing. So I'm learning all this on the fly. There was no training that went along with this. Sometimes consultants can be some of the most, so consultants can be jerks, right? And I, something that Larry said before, like a, a consultant will take your watch and tell you what time it is, right? So that's, these people had some of the most condescending mentalities. And it was like, it drove me nuts. Cause it's like, y'all making me seem like, I'm, you're making me seem like I'm stupid. When this, this is not my background. I don't even know, I don't know what was going on. Nobody trained me. Nobody, y'all gave me a laptop and told me to do this and like kind of push me up over there. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't, right? Like, and I'm just trying to, honestly, and I'm just trying to make it work. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm like trying to like shadow people on my own, literally just ask people, like, can I just shadow you to figure out what are we doing? And uh, that was a horrible experience. Like, that's all I could put. It was like, oh yeah, I'm like, I'm up there. I'm like, yo, this is 40 hours a week. I'm like, okay, the only thing that's cool is that I only, only got to be here 
Monday through Thursday, then Fridays I can work from home. I'm like, but I still don't know what I'm doing. Everybody, they breathing down my neck. Like they're, they're not training me. And um, it just drove me crazy. Like, honestly, like the only way I can explain it was like, drove me absolutely crazy. I remember they were, they were going to hire on, it was three of us that they hired. Like, so most of the consultants were like mid-level, right? High level, higher level, whatever. And then they hired on three of us straight out of undergrad. So it was only three of us. And I remember having a conversation with uh, one of the hiring managers at UW-Madison. And they were like, hey, yeah, if you kind of just, you know, we want to hire you guys on to like kind of kind of help with this transition. You know, once the consultants leave, you know, you can make some pretty good money. You can make like 70000 80000 right away. Now, granted, this I mean, that's pretty solid money. You just graduated college less than a year ago. And I was like, man, I don't care. I'm not doing it. Like in my head, I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm like, I am not doing it. So at that point, when I was there, I actually already owned a four unit. A friend, a friend and I, uh, we bought a four unit my last semester in undergrad. Or probably like, no, probably like three months after my after I graduated college. Um, I borrowed some money from my uncle for the down payment. My guy had already he, he had he had credit, right? And he had a, a full time, good paying job. And we just went in together and bought a four unit. So I already owned one four unit. And during my time in Madison, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm just do this real estate thing. I'm like, I just think this is the way to go. Like, I'm like, I've been scorned by this experience. And, uh, you know, so I think one day, this is actually Martin Luther King Day. Um, I, uh, they wanted, they was like, like the UW system was closed, right? But uh, the consultant, like the my manager at the consultant group was like, why aren't you online? Why aren't you blah, 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 like breathing out my neck? Like, mind you, I, I was already fed up. So I literally, I said I quit. Like, on Martin Luther King Day of like 20, I don't know, 12 or 13, I'm like, I quit. Like, I quit. And I just went and dropped up their laptop. I was like, I don't want to ever talk to you guys again. And I was like, I was out. Because I couldn't, I couldn't, it was just like, you, it's like you're blaming me, right? It's like asking a fish to fly. Literally what the experience felt like. Like you're you're telling me that I'm not doing a good job at something that nobody taught me how to do. You guys, you said to me in the interview that you've never done this before. You never hired right out of undergrad. Now look at me, hired out of undergrad, no experience in this field, and now you're blaming me for not knowing what I'm doing. And you never trained me. So that literally just pushed me. Like it pushed me all the way. Like yeah, it left a real sour taste in my mouth. But I knew when I quit, I'm like, I'm gonna go find a job just in Milwaukee somewhere. I don't care what it is. And I'm gonna just really go hard with the, the real estate thing. Um, so I went from I went from the IT consulting group to uh, actually work for a cell phone company part time. And uh, I was like, well, the commission plus the hourly, I was gonna pay like forty five thousand a year. And I'm like, I only work part time, like twenty five hours a week. I'm like, that leaves me enough time to still do real estate. And then I ended up working there for like a year, and I ended up buying another four unit. Actually, bought another a four unit, and then also bought a three unit, a duplex and a five unit while working there during that year. And it was like, that was always my goal. So I, then I quit that job. Like, all right, I'm done with that job. Right. I'm done. Like, I'm just going to do this real estate thing full time. How did you know it was going to work or did you not know it was going to work? I mean, it's like always going to transition work. into real estate. <laughs> what you mean? It's always going to work. <laughs> I, I ain't never felt in my life. What you talking about? No, um, I don't, I don't think I didn't have a plan, bro. I, honestly, a lot of times I don't go into stuff like, Everybody be like, oh, like I remember the biggest thing. I, I was interning for uh, a nonprofit, um, like nonprofit lender slash organization. They do like technical help plus like financial help. And I saw like a ton of business plans. And everybody always like, oh, you need a business plan, a business plan, a business plan. And I'm like, I don't know if you always need a business plan. Like I don't think I never kind of went into things with a business plan. It was like, I think I'm 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 like, let's just try it. Like, I mean, if you got time, if you if you don't have money and you have time, you might as well try it. What you got to lose? What you going to lose? Some time that you're going to waste anyway. So I don't think there was ever a moment where I was like, oh, it's not going to work. I was always like, oh, it's going to work because other people have done it. There's already people have done it. So there's people who have become millionaires from real estate. There's families that are walking around loaded because of real estate. There's, there's people, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, there's not, I don't, there's not. There's, there's not, there's no option of not working, like because it's gonna work. That's funny, I, you know. But I think having the, uh, the foresight and, and the courage to be like, you know what, I'm not just gonna stay at this IT company just because it's secure. Like I'm gonna go do what, what I, what I really want to go do. I think having that, 
sort of uh, that foresight at like 21, 22. I think that's super dope. Let's fast forward a bit. Let's talk about present day. Talk about, you know, Corey McClendon, CEO uh, and founder of McClendon Capital. Let's talk about sort of what is McClendon Capital? Uh, when did you when did you start it? And then what do you have sort of in the pipeline right now? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, MCG was started 2015. Um, and the it was like it was the like an offspring of another company that I already had. So when originally I touched on that, a friend and I bought a four unit. He didn't want to stay in real estate, which is fine, right? Everybody's vision is the same. And I decided to keep going in real estate. So it was like, oh, eventually I'm like, all right, let me spin off and do my own company, right? And that's kind of what became, a, that's why McClendon Capital Group became what it is now or what it was then and what it is now. Um, you know, we are now a more of a conglomerate. Um, we have multiple verticals. So we're in assisted living space. We're in the uh, child care space. We're in the uh, real estate investment space, real estate development space, and also the hospitality space. So our most recent venture was actually the acquisition of a, a taco restaurant in Milwaukee. Um, it's called Taco Mike's. That was We bought that maybe a month and a half ago. Um, but that was my first go at a restaurant or, or, or a space similar to that. Uh, you know, I owned a, a place called Scene One in Milwaukee. Um, I was part of an ownership group of a place called Cage Bird in Washington, D.C. So, I, you know, I cut my teeth a few times in the space um, and I kind of learned my lesson that, hey, my goal became to always invest in. A, if I'm in if I'm in a restaurant, I'm always investing something that's quick, something that has good profit margins when it comes to food and something that has liquor because the margins on that is good, too. And then in a high traffic foot traffic area. So those are those are always my goals. And I ultimately was able to to. Uh, to accomplish those goals in this space uh, when I acquired Taco Mike's most recently. So in a pipeline with Taco Mike's, you know, we're looking at a location in Whitewater, Wisconsin already. Um, we're looking at a location in Madison right now. And then our goal is to, to expand to like Appleton and Racine, um, trying to kind of be around universities. That's really our, our, our goal um, as far as Taco Mike's. And then from there, we want to franchise. <clears throat> um, as far as our development company uh, right now, we have, um, we have a few deals in the pipeline. Uh, you know, we had to pivot on one of our deals because of the pandemic. So we had a hotel we were working on with a uh, mixed income, uh, with a mixed income um, housing development that we had to pivot on just because the pandemic kind of threw things off. So now we're taking another shot at that. Uh, we're also bringing a national grocer on that site, uh, a very well-known grocery store. Um, you know, we have a few things, right? Adaptive reuse. We're looking at, you know, converting an industrial building over to, to senior housing uh you know just always looking at everything when we got we got a, a lot of balls in the air right now we're just kind of kind of you're trying to adapt to the environment right with the changes and in, in, you know interest rates changes in construction costs changes in 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 you name it it's been changing and it's been changing rapidly so we're just trying to find some kind of some kind of normal normality <clears throat> some, some kind of normality in there and like where can we interject ourselves and, and make money in this space um you know i was reading today just a lot of value add properties are, are being foreclosed on some of the big guys losing some of their properties um, just because they had the types of loans they had. So we're looking there. We're going down that. We're, we're, we're looking to really go heavy in that space. Um, and then we got just a few other things on the horizon. Um, so like we're looking at doing like a tech vertical with our assisted living space <clears throat> and then also kind of branch out into to consulting as well. So we just got to I mean, again, McClendon Capital Group is a conglomerate and just has a lot of verticals. That kind of have a similar the, the foundation of all of those are honestly just real estate. So like mm -hmm. assisted living, we own the real estate, child care, we own the real estate. Um, obviously, real estate investing, we own the real estate, uh development, we own the real estate. Um, taco mics, uh, that's the only one where we really don't care to own the real estate, but for the most part, the other ones we we own the real estate. You know, with all the different verticals uh that you've named, uh, how do you evaluate? you know, opportunities and you can just pick, you can just pick one vertical, one example, yeah. but just talk about, walk us through just how do you evaluate a potential opportunity? And then the, the follow on question from that would be, um, how do you evaluate whether or not this is something that, that you can do yourself or where you, or whether or not you need to partner uh, with someone, bring someone else in? Yeah. So, so I guess I'm going to go kind of backwards when, it, when, it, when, as far as bringing a partner in, um, you know, a, a lot of my early stuff when I first got started in real estate, um, you know, outside of that first deal with my partner, where we bought our first four unit, like fresh out of undergrad, I was investing my own money. Like any dollar I could save when I was getting a tax refund, 
I wasn't putting all of that in real estate. It was like, okay, you buy a property, you know, you saved up, let's say $20,000, 30,000, whatever it is, you buy a property and you, you put it into it. And now you, now you, once you spent that cash, now you got to try to save up another 30,000, right? What does that take you a year, two years, whatever. Now you buy another one. But it's like, now you kind of speed up your, your acquisition process, but it still takes a really long time. So I started looking at it like, all right, how can I start speeding this thing up? Right. And, and what's the exit? Like I stopped looking at just buying stuff like, oh, it's a good deal. Let me buy it and cash flow from it. I started looking at how do I like I start looking at exit before I buy. Like, all right, how am I getting out of this thing? And what is my return once I get out of this thing? And what's the like if I need an investor, what's the investor return? And why does it make sense for them? And what's their other options? Right. So I have to start looking at all of that. Like, you know, any you know, if you look for an investor in a real estate deal right now, it's OK. If they're getting a let's say eight percent return with you. I mean, they can go into the stock market right now and get like a 5% return on treasury bonds, which are risk-free. So like, I mean, I might take a 5% return with no risk or over 8% return with risk, right? Any day of the week. So he's like, you got to start looking. I started looking at, all right, what's the other options for these investors and why would this be a better deal than the other ones? And that's how you got to start like sweetening up these deals or making deals that like finding deals that are really worth it. Um, so just a deal that, I, so most recent, I think the easiest thing to touch on is Taco Mike's because, you know, it was our most recent acquisition. And, you know, we bought it for $150,000. Now, to give you perspective, I was trying to buy the pizza, like, bar next door, right? Probably two months prior. And they were trying to sell it at $450,000. $450,000, no real financials. They were only open, like, four months, right? They sold it for, four, like, four-something cash. I mean, right? So I'm like, oh, man. More perspective, I was another place called Buck Bradley's Four Doors Down, that they sold for 3.2 million. So it was the real estate plus the business. So the business was valued at like four or five hundred thousand. So I'm like, wait, I can get this place that's been open three years, right? Bringing in revenue that's equivalent to like better revenue than the pizza place, almost as much revenue as Buck Bradley's, like probably a little bit less, but for $150,000. And I own the equipment, I own it. The IP is a quick, easy, duplicatable business, right? And I'm like, that's why it makes sense for me. And I'm like, 150,000 is not, it's not a, it's, it's, it's money that I feel like if you split it up the right way, if you get a few investors, like four investors, three investors, like nobody will cry if they're like truly investor, if they lost the money. Right. So that's how I started looking at it, like, all right, if I'm looking at friends and family, like, could they take this loss? Could I take this loss? And that's kind of why I was like, all right, let me pitch it to a couple of my guys and they are businessmen and they make, they know what they're doing. And they, they if we all lost this money, will we be hurt? And that's kind of how I evaluate that as well. And I'm like, in return on the money, we make the money back in a year, for like money back in a year. And now we can expand this thing. We could do this over three, four times easily in the, before a year. And I think one of my partners, his goal was always, he was like, man, I want to be the fastest growing, um, you know, uh, fast casual restaurant in Wisconsin. I'm like, bet. I think we could easily do that. I mean, you only need 2,000 square feet. If that, you maybe need a thousand. If you really want to, if you really want to squeeze it down, we need a thousand square feet. We just be selling tacos and pushing people out the door. <laughs> so I think that was kind of like that's that was the perk of it for me. Can we do this over and over and over and over? And can and also one of my biggest things is can I explain to you what my business is? And can you go and explain to somebody else what my business is? And I think that's where I think that's where the real value is. Because like, oh, he owned a taco restaurant. Easy peasy. Everybody understands that. And he sells tequila. Easy peasy. Versus when I own like different types of restaurants and that more 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 so lounges how can you explain what that is like it's a lounge well, what do they sell right you got now it's further explanation needed to explain that business so i think it was like all those things in itself was like oh it's a slam dunk deal right um and then i don't know i don't know when this episode gonna air but uh january we'll find out january we'll find out if we're inside the pfizer forum we can get a location inside of there again we're looking at whitewater wisconsin for another location um, we already found a space. It's just a matter of some negotiation right now. And then Madison will be our next one, uh, preferably something close to Camp Randall. And I think that would probably be our, our our highest revenue location in Madison. So, I mean, I think just something that's easily duplicatable. Can you get in for pretty cheap? You know, I, right now we probably could sell our first location for 450 like out the gate. Like we bought it for 150 Didn't do much, but clean up some of the customer service, clean up the lo- clean up the space, right? You know, take some stuff off the menu. Um, and, you know, kind of just triple our money if we really just want to walk away right away. Um, but I think we're trying to play this for the long term. How do you how do you go through and uh, 
I guess, choose partners like for these different ventures. So I assume they're all not the same partners and everything. So how, what's your process of choosing a partner? So, uh, you know, I cut my teeth on that too. Um, like being in a partnership and being the guy with the money, um, and kind of like the ex, like the the money and the business acumen. And it's like, well, dang, what do these guys bring to the table if they're not committing their time? Because I was bringing my time, my business acumen, and my money. And it was like, well, what are what is everybody else bringing if we're not all bringing the same thing, right? So how I like to say it is like, you know, being a rich friend out of the group, I, I've been that. And then now on the flip side, I'd rather be the broke friend out of the group, right? Because it's like, all right, these guys ain't going to call you blowing you up about $50,000. Like, they know where it's parked at. They know where the money is. So it's like, I would rather have people that that aren't worried about the money versus people that are, like, sweating every nickel and dime. And it's, and and I think that's that's kind of how I look at it. So it's like, I'd rather be the one taking the least amount of risk now versus the one that was taking, taking the most amount of risk previously. And that's how I look at all these deals. And I was like, all right, who would... Who would this deal make sense for? And like, how can I not take on any risk or at least amount of risk and just kind of like make, but also, you know, I'm a fiduciary, so I got to make sure everybody make their money on these deals, whatever I'm in. So that's from real estate, right? I look at the, the big boys, like, all right, what kind of money, what, what, what equity, what kind of balance sheet do y'all have? What kind of experience do y'all have? What kind of bandwidth do y'all have to keep this over the finish line? And then when it comes to restaurants, like, all right, who do you know where we can kind of easily get into new locations or, um, like what kind of expertise do you have or, or how like have you been in this space before? So, you know, you just kind of evaluate, as you evaluate anything, like it's like, how do you choose a law school? How do you choose a a, a kinder a, a school for your kid, like kindergarten or daycare? Or, you know, if you got a, a elderly parent, like how do you choose the right like nursing home? Right. It's like you, you just look for fit. I think what you're kind of describing is some of the lessons that you've learned uh, through your business journey. I mean, what else what else have you learned? Like you don't have to name a specific venture or anything like that, but just like what other lessons have you learned uh, through this process? Obviously I think they say like 90, 90 plus percent of businesses don't make it, but you've, you've been able to build successful businesses and, ha and you've had successful exits. So just what, like just lessons learned and what do you attribute some of the success to? Uh, well, You could do, so I always say to people, like I could build a, I could build a rocket to the moon if I had time. You know what I'm saying? So I think one thing that I've learned through this whole journey is when I look at a business, how much time do I want to commit to it? Like people are like, oh, yeah, you, you a boss or somebody a boss, they shouldn't be in their business. Yeah. When you buy a business, you're going to be in there at first. Right. Like you got to you got to get it in order. Then you can kind of like start relinquishing, kind of letting it go a little bit. It's like when you have a kid, you're going to rate, you go, you really hands on early on. Then those lessons you instilled in them, you kind of got to believe that they will use those to kind of navigate through life. Um, so. Like one thing, anybody getting into business is like, hey, I would think like, look at your time first, because I think I think the goal most of the time when people get into business is kind of to create freedom for themselves or like a financial freedom for themselves or their family. And it's like, how much time you got to commit to that? Like, you might just want to go work a job, to be honest. Like, if I could just work 40 hours a week, you know what I'm saying? I'm on salary. I'm a little more comfortable. I can spend my time with my kids and my family versus like if I own a business and I got to I got to work 80 hours a week. I'm making less than what I would make if I was working a job. It's like, so I'm really not gaining any time by owning this business. So like, why am I in it? So that's what I've like through this process. I've learned like, Hey, the goal is always to be able to not be there. <laughs> like if I like, I'm not trying to get every dollar. I don't care. I don't want every dollar. I don't need every dollar. I don't care. I don't look if I can make, if the business is making $10,000 profit, like every month, I don't, whatever it is. I'll take 7,000 instead of 10,000 if I just have a peace of mind where I don't have to be there every day or like I only got to check in maybe once a week. Right. Like I'll take that. I'll, I don't need every dollar because I take my time. I value my time way more. So when anybody looking at a business or evaluating a business, like just my big for me personally, is just always looking at how much time I got to commit to it. If I got to commit too much time, I'm not doing it. I don't care how good the business look. I don't care. Honestly, how much money it's going to make. If I got to commit my time too much time to it, I'm not doing it. Like, I, I don't, I'm not doing it. Like, <laughs> that's one thing, like, you know, Tone touched on before. Like, I've always been, I'm not doing it. I don't care. I'm not doing it. Um, and you got to be okay with saying that. You got to be okay with just being able to walk away from anything. Especially so with, with like, business deal. Yeah, so with that, like, it's, it's, when, when it comes to time, you got to allocate time to a lot of different things, especially having a family, having, like, yeah. 
you know, jobs, different ventures and all that. What's your day to day like? I guess like how how do you spend most of your days? Is it like in in different meetings? Like what do you do? And honestly, I meditate every day. Um like stress is a is a is a big part of this. Like stress is every day I'm putting out a fire. The fire is sometimes you can't even like you can't even try to plan for everything, but you can't even plan for it. So every day I'm putting out a fire, right? Like, um, so my day to day sometimes is up and down. Sometimes it, I can't I can't tell you what my day to day looks like. Like so, like last week Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I get a call on Friday from a a, a potential real estate partner that I wasn't even looking for that they found me. They're like, hey man, we're looking at this project you were working on, and we see that it it didn't work out, and we think that it'll work. You just gotta go get your your zoning stuff updated, and I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, but you gotta get it done today to be able to get on the agenda for next month. And I'm like, how am I? I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right. I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? For me, my my architect handled that prior too, like handled that before. So I didn't know, you know, the complexity of it or how simple it was, whatever it is. So I go down to the city and I'm getting the runaround. Like, oh no, you got to meet with this person, that person, this person, that person. I'm talking to everybody in the building. I don't care. I'm knocking on everybody's door. And it's like, I didn't get it done. And I'm like, man, dang, I could have had a deal done. So then Monday, I get a call. Monday, I'm, I'm like, forget it. I'm going to try to work on it again to see if I get something done. Still didn't work out. Tuesday, somebody from the city calls me like, hey, come down tomorrow. They held stuff open longer for you so you can get this stuff in. I'm like, yeah, because I'm like, because y'all telling me that I need to meet with a certain person that I can't meet with for two months. So it's going to be impossible. He's like, oh, just come down. If you, if I got to hold your hand and walk you to everybody, I'm going to welcome to you. So it was like, I didn't expect that to even be in my, like, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That wasn't even on my agenda because I didn't expect to even be involved in this deal again because I kind of walked away from it. So sometimes your days just look like that. But with having kids, it's like, Wednesdays, Wednesdays are their days. I don't care who called me. I'm not taking no meetings. I'm not taking a phone call. If it's important, leave a voicemail, send me an email. I don't take meetings on Wednesdays. Been that way for a long time. That's their days. We do jujitsu on Wednesdays. I pick them up at noon, right? And then we probably go, we, then we go see my parents. They always want to see their grandparents. That's our schedule. So we go from, they get, they go to school at eight in the morning. They get picked up at 12. We go to jujitsu at one o'clock. They go see their parents about two 30, three o'clock. We there to like six 30. We go home. We do some reading, writing. Then we in the tub and then we land down, we say our prayers and we go to sleep. Like that's our Wednesdays. That's their days. Um, and then like Saturdays, like Thursdays, they have swim. Right. And then uh, Saturdays, they have soccer. So like I've cut out time. I, it, I, I, It's like they got their own life. And I try to make sure they know they got their own life. And I keep them in these activities to make sure that I don't forget that they need their own life and their own time. Um, so that's kind of how I've been able to balance it. Uh, throughout this whole process and just kind of cut out days and cut out time like create my own, like dictate my time nobody's like i'm not letting anybody create like dictate my time no more i don't care what business it is like i said is the house burning down call the fire department somebody going to jail <laughs> tell me what they bill is tomorrow bro like i this ain't like i'm not over exerting myself anymore like the more business I, i'm going to own is like the less and less i'm going to exert myself in any of them because it's like I treat them like people. I treat businesses like people. They gon' they gonna do what they gonna do. <laughs> and then when when I gotta step in, I step in. But I'm not finna step like go out my way to do that. No, I think what you're speaking to is the importance of you know setting healthy boundaries and yeah. uh, things of that nature. I think that's the only way to have you know sustained success, right? Is to have boundaries. Um, yeah. Earlier, you mentioned you know being at the IT company and not really having the formal training or anyone to lean on to figure out, you know, how to move within that space. I guess, who have you leaned on, you know, on your entrepreneurial journey uh, to really, to learn all this, right? I mean, we're all first-generation college kids that are just learning how to navigate life. Who do you lean on uh, on this current journey that you're on? So, I mean, I take, I take, I take from everybody. Like, people don't even know. Like, I just be, like, I don't know. I watch people way more than people realize. I watch everybody. It's just kind of like, I think everybody is going to sound kind of floaty and lofty and whatever, whatever. But I think everybody is amazing. I think everybody is talented. Like, I don't care what any, like, just because everybody doesn't recognize everybody else's talent don't mean that I don't. Like, I think that 
the, the, the homeless person on the street able to make money every day by begging. I think that's a talent to me. Like, bro, you you threw all ego out the window to be able to get a goal accomplished. I, I see that. You know what I'm saying? Tone's ability to adapt to every situation. I look at Larry. Larry, I look at you for like your like in any situation. Larry never get flustered. I know when Larry is flustered, but he never like you kind of keep it stoic. Like, but I look at that like all right, balance. All right, boom. Like I look at everybody, bro. I look at every single person, every one of my friends, every one of anybody I don't like. I look at them too, because everybody got like a talent. Something I could kind of take from. Like, all right, let me see how can I use that and like kind of implement it in my life or like use it to kind of navigate certain things. Like, I don't, I think entrepreneurship in itself is just a combination of everything. It's not like, uh, I don't think it's a one size fit all. So I just kind of use everybody talent because I'm, you never know when it's going, when it's going, when I'm going to need it in any situation. So I don't, I don't really look at like I, early on, I was listening to a lot of bigger pockets. Like, I would read every bigger pockets blog. Um, man, I used to watch a lot of bigger pockets. I remember just looking at interviews of rappers and artists, like, all right, they came from nothing and became something, um, you know, reading up on like, just that kind of gems about like Denzel Washington, who still take acting classes, even though he is Denzel Washington, um, like just everything. Like, all right, so you never, you just kind of use all of that, like all this information. On the flip side of all of that, sometimes I like to turn off information. Like I don't, it's, it's so much. For me, it's like, all right, you, you can go look at Instagram and get a thousand pieces of information right now. And it's like, how do you use that? It's almost too much to even use. Like, so I try to like be very, like very, um, very cautious about what I look at because I know it's so much out there that I can kind of become, you can become frazzled. You can start running in this direction, that direction, using that person, using that person's information. Like, nah, like just kind of take a couple things and just use them. Implement them today. See how they work out in a couple weeks. Implement them some, whatever it is and just kind of try stuff, try stuff, try stuff. And just copy people and copy businesses that work. <laughs> like honestly, business business is copycat. Entrepreneurship is copycat. Like if somebody did it, you can do it. It's not like it's very few things that have been done that you cannot do. The thing you talked about was uh meditation. And I think it's it's you say you do it every day. And I think it's something I've been yeah. trying to do. Like I have a reminder to like meditate, but I always forget. And I, I want I was I guess I was curious, like, how'd you get into it and like how do you keep the routine? Have you seen like differences in your day? Mm. Um. So again, I mean, as y'all y'all asked me, what was a typical day? You can see it get chaotic, it gets stressful, and it's like, honestly, I started off just taking, not even necessarily meditating. Every day at three p.m., I used to literally just lay down for fifteen minutes, like whether my eyes are open, closed, it don't matter what's going on. Like 3 p.m., I'm laying down. I don't care where I'm at. I can, I'll lay on the floor. I don't care where I'm, like, sitting in a chair. I'll lay down across anything. It's just like I needed that time to just kind of shut off everything and just kind of regroup. And from there, it's kind of, you just, it just grow into more stuff, right? Like, I want to get into, like, mantra meditation where you kind of repeat phrases to yourself. I'm not there yet. Um, but I did just complete, like, a nine-week course in meditation. You know, I've been using Headspace as an app for years um i just think that for me is a way to kind of just calm down a bit right um and to be honest like at one point it was like i remember like watching lebron right as my favorite player and like you know everybody know he lost in the finals blah blah blah, blah. but then it, it became a point where he started getting over that hump and they show clips of him like in in like high stress situations he'll be on a in on a bench like doing breath work and it's like, oh, so I see what he's it's like you could you and then you saw the difference in his game from what he was like a few years ago, like missing it, you know, not taking the game when it's like people wanted to like getting over that hump. And it was like, okay, he's able to control his emotions in those high stress situations. And that's what kind of also that's what got me into it almost originally. And then from there, I just kind of it kind of transitioned from just laying down at 3 p.m. every day to like honestly sitting like using headspace and sitting there calm for like five to ten minutes um to then completing the, like that nine week class i just completed in you know mindfulness and meditation uh and you know just kind of go from there right and then i started doing i do yoga like 10 minutes of yoga every morning just like getting them into all of that stuff is like you start realizing that that your inside affects your outside more than anything you know what i mean like i could go to the gym a hundred times and it's like it won't it don't that doesn't mean anything if like i'm still not right here like it's not gonna translate to here I'm still going to eat bad because I'm not right here. So 
all of that, like every life influences just kind of got me over into it. Um, I think that everybody should. should. Every life is stressful. If you got kids, oh, that's another level. Like they, they'll take you to a whole nother level of stress. And it's like sometimes you got to take your moment. And I taught them, my kids do breath work, right? When mm. they too excited, when they too stressful, when they crying, screaming out, hey, let's take some deep breaths. And they can they they know it, they'll do it. And it's like everybody should do it. Everybody can use it more so than anything. Where you are with your sons, like I can tell you really care about legacy, like in giving something for them to you know, hold on to things that you didn't have when you were growing up. And I guess I just wanted to hear your thoughts on like why legacy is so important to you. Man, why is it important to me, man? Like, I don't, I never gave it thought. It's just like, they're going to affect the world in some way, shape or form. And I want them to be able to affect it in positive ways. Right. And also to be able to navigate to like navigate it in ways that are, healthy you know what i'm saying like when i was growing up it was like i didn't know i just bumped and bruised and banged my way through life like ah 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 man fell here fell over there right like ended up in places i shouldn't have been like i need them to be able to kind of hey cut that learning curve down a little bit you know what i'm saying know how to deal with people a little bit differently right like people don't know how to like when you when people are yelling and screaming and you not they don't know how to interact with that when you know how to control your emotions people don't know how to like how how to interact with that so i know that these are the, my two boys are going to directly affect the world and I want them to affect the world in a positive way. And I want them to be able to also not that not, I don't want that to be detrimental to themselves. So that's why I'm so I'm just adamant about it. And I just, you know, it's just for me, it's fun. Like I love this, right? Like it's certain things that I wanted to learn growing up and it's like, oh, they can learn it now. Like I didn't start doing martial arts. So I was like not doing it seriously. So I was like 24. They doing it now at three and five, right? Like, they're going to be light years when they're 10, they're going, to, they're going to be light years ahead of what I am now. Um, you know, they know sign language. I learned it with them, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, as, as an adult. So they're going to be light years ahead of me when it comes to that, right? Like Jackson was speaking Spanish. And I'm like, look, like they're going to be way better than I am. And it's like, I think that also, me also with that is like the goal is always built on a previous generation. My parents gave me this foundation. And I feel like, and they feel like, not even not just me, my parents feel like I'm here. So I need to feel like my boys are like far past what I am, right? Like I'm, I'm, and that's my goal always. So eventually, not to even keep going on with this, but eventually, <clears throat> not eventually. So uh, they shadowed Brandon at his new project, uh, and we posted on Instagram, and everybody kind of went crazy about that. So the goal for us now, me and the boys, I'm gonna have them like start shadowing professions, right? Like. You're gonna shadow a developer, a lawyer, a person that owned a car wash. I don't care. You're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna record and just put it on YouTube just for really for us. But the biggest thing that I learned growing up was like, you don't know what you want to be if you never saw it because you don't know it exists. Like, I don't, you don't know if a dog groomer exists if you never saw a dog get groomed. You don't, right? You don't know if a, a real estate developer exists if you never saw anybody build anything or a lawyer that's black. Like, you don't. You don't know this. So I think my thing is like just giving them an opportunity to kind of see these professions and and also hopefully, you know, inspire other kids and inspire the world, too. So I want them to inspire the world. And I'm, you know, I hope I just want to be a conduit of that. First of all, that's the reason why we have this podcast. Right. It's like we wanted one to have these kind of conversations, but two, just those people to uh, the different ways that you, you can achieve and, and navigate this thing we call life. Right. Um, one of my favorite things that you say that I kind of have, have stolen and I repeat it all the time is that like to withhold knowledge is a sin. Right. And so with that being said, I know there's someone listening that wants to step away from the nine to five, or, or maybe they just graduated uh, from college and they're trying to figure out, you know, what's for them. Um, how would you go about uh, starting on an entrepreneurial journey? Um, you know, obviously access to capital is one of the, the biggest barriers. Just, just what advice would you give to the young entrepreneur or the person that wants to leave their job uh, to start a business if like to a young entrepreneur i mean you're probably not gonna have experience right and i'm probably gonna guess you probably don't have the money but you're gonna have time so your goal ultimately to be it should be to find whatever you want to get into whatever space you want to get into um find somebody with some money and, some, and find somebody with some experience Hopefully you, that can be the same person. And then you just got to have, a t you got time. 
So you got time, then you could drive whatever the transaction is, whether that be a restaurant or whatever it is, whatever space you want to get to tech company, but you got the person with the money and experience that could kind of support you through that process and kind of help you help speed up that process. Um, you know, that's something that I learned early. It was like, ah, oh, man, I had, I had time, I had no money and I had no experience, but I had technical knowledge right through the university. So it was like, I had to find, I had to just figure it out. I had to use my, I figured out how to find some money, which was my money. And I lost my money sometimes too, right? Lost some money, got behind on bills, all of that. Uh, so to the young entrepreneur, get somebody that got some time. I mean, get somebody that got some money, some experience, and you got time and just kind of help drive whatever transaction you want to do. The person that's looking to lead a nine to five, you know, if you stand in that space that you're already in, I would say like try to create as many relationships as you as you can before you step away from that job because you may need those when you start your own company if you're standing in that space. Or maybe not. I mean, you still gonna need those relationships regardless because you never know where those people are gonna end up. Um, and then also try to gain as much experience as possible. Um, you know, because a lot of time, like I started my real estate journey, no experience, just kind of rough shot. And uh I made a lot of mistakes, which means I lost a lot of money. And you don't wanna you wanna learn from everybody else's mistakes because it's gonna cost you less. Hypothetically speaking, there's a there's a pizza restaurant down the street from me that's that's for sale, right? And I, I want to bring you in as a partner. What questions should I be thinking about and what questions would you be would you be thinking about? <clears throat> well, one, I mean, first thing I'm gonna ask is like, all right, what post so once we close, what's the plan? <laughs> like that's you know, how are we gonna keep making money, right? And I think, you know, that's probably the first question I'm gonna ask. But before that is like, you know, is there a license in place? Do we need to get a license? What's the process of either transferring that license or um, obtaining a new license. You know, liquor license could be sometimes um, difficult to, to get depending on the politics of it. Um, you know, um, who's going to operate? Because that's a big thing. Like, who's going to be the ones committing their time to it? Do you expect me to commit my time or just my money? Right? Um, you know, that's a big thing. Is there a bot? Do we want to have, have advisors? Because sometimes that could work, work out for us or work against us. All right, did we see the financials? Are they real? You know, people cook the books all the time because they don't want to pay taxes. So are they real? Right. Um, who are there? Who do they currently have currently have contracts with as far as like food distributors, um, as far as liquor distributors, as far as like even down to the mats? Like who 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 come and pick up their mats? Do they handle their own mats? Like how is like is that is that the best way to use our time, use employees' time? So like I would look at all of that because it's all gonna affect us. Like, how do we as far as mix, making drinks, do we have a fountain there? Do we have bottle drinks there? Right, there's a you know cost component to the between the two, right? Um, like, do we use do we use like guns there? Like tap like soda guns? Like this all matters because I think about time. Like a lot of times in this industry is like you want to be the fastest one to make a drink. Like the more the faster you can make a drink, the faster you can make some more money and right and generate more revenue. So like those are like the quickest things that I'll ask. Is there a staff in place? What's the plan for getting new staff? Are we doing a complete overhaul of the staff? You know, are we going to go in and meet the staff and kind of like pick and choose who we want to keep, who we don't? Um, you know, those because those things are all going to play a part in the success or failure of the business. Do we want to implement a GM out the gate? Or do we just want to do like a, a shift managers out the gate? Like these things all matter. These they all matter. What's the what's some advice you would give to your younger self or a young Young, younger person listening to this podcast that you know wants to be a young Corey McClendon. Man, um, I mean, I could just speak on mistakes. Like, I was move, I just move fast, mm -hmm. right? Like one, one, like I just move really fast. Like I can go out and find twenty deals right now, and I could probably close on five right in the next three months. Then it's like my, ex I get excited off making deals. I don't get excited off operating companies, so. With that, it was like I was just moving so fast. I wasn't putting people in the right place to kind of keep things on the right track a lot of the times. And I would always tell my younger self, like, all right, you you talented at closing, at finding deals, at closing deals. So make sure you got people in place that can kind of keep them like operating and keep them going without you. Like so you can keep doing what you're good at. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that was my that was my hardest thing was like being able to scale, but also and scale and be sustainable early on especially in real estate um 
you know, got to keep your got to keep your eye on what you're doing because, you know, even though I like to say, like, you know, companies kind of run themselves. They really don't. You need people to run them. And if you don't have people, they're not going to run. Or if you got to run people, then they're going to run them into the ground. So I was just always tell myself, like, just kind of keep an eye on on everything that's going on and how to write people around you. And sometimes it's going to take some 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 trial and error to find those right people. But last thing, what uh, where can we find you? What do you have coming up? Is there, uh, yeah. uh, is there anything we should look out for? Uh, yeah. If anybody looking for me at Corey underscore M underscore on Instagram, Corey underscore M on TikTok. <laughs> I just started using that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a fun app actually. Uh, TikTok. it is, it's, it's too addicting, bro. Honestly, it is, it's too good. Like I tap in, I'm like, oh, I gotta get off of this. Cause it's just, yeah, they, then it's like, you know, it's like, I've been on here two hours. Later. Like, um, you know what I'm saying? Cornelius McClendon, uh, on, on Facebook. But uh, coming out, like I said, me and the kids going to do a little show. going to do a show, like 15-minute, like little shorts on Instagram. I mean, on YouTube, rather, where we're just going to kind of go around and follow in professions. I mean, that's something that we probably going to dive heavy into. Um, you know, for me, like my business, you know, we got a few projects on the horizon. Real estate projects, we're going to film the behind the scenes and a, trend, a process of developing a project and just kind of share that with the world. Um you know, Taco Mike's, we're going to try to, we're going to document that journey too, from going from one location to hopefully five in, in, in two years at the most. So I think, you know, we're just going to start just recording stuff and sharing stuff and just kind of, you know, if people could find a gym in there where they can kind of use that and implement it in whatever they got going on. That's kind of my goal of it. Um, you know, I don't really, again, you can catch me on social platform, social media platforms. I mean, people can always DM me if they got any questions. Um, you know, I think actually a vertical that a lot more people should get into moving forward is uh, the residential assisted living space. There's more people over 65 um, than there are kids in America because people are having kids later. And then you've got the baby boomers that are aging. So hmm. that is a space that is going to need um, more providers in it. And uh, a lot of times what I like what I was, what I was reach, reading on is that, you know, you have you know people our age, 30 somethings, right, taking care of their their aging parent, their parents that are aging and then also having children. Right. So now you got a six month old and you got a parent that's 70 years old. So it's like you're providing for both. And it's like, how do you balance that and how can you kind of help in that? Um, so uh, but I think, you know. Just catch me on any of those platforms. If you got any questions, you can shoot me a DM. Uh, you know, I'm always open to help, first and foremost. You know, I'm always willing to answer questions. I'm not, you know, I'm not a guru. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. I just try to help people. I'm not charging for nothing. Anything I know, I try to give to anybody else. And, you, you know, use it however you can.